Hey everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I heard a couple of days ago that George Perez was retiring, and I just want to say that I'm grateful for all of the wonderful work that he's done over the years, and I've really enjoyed covering his artwork on the new Teen Titans, and I'm really happy for him that he gets to retire. It seems like comic book creator in general has a retirement plan only slightly better than the Mafia's, so it's rare to hear about somebody retiring, and George Perez certainly deserves that, and I'm just really happy for him and really grateful. I've also got a minor announcement about Patreon stuff I wanted to do up top. I've set up a couple of new goals and reward tiers for donors, so once we reach a certain level, I'm going to start doing weekly reviews of classic comic books for people who support the show at $5 a month or more. And for the few people who can afford to support at $10 a month or more, I want to do something for you guys too. So for those people, I'm going to mail you a Bronze Age comic book from my collection with a note about why I selected it and why I think it's interesting. So if that stuff appeals to you, check out our Patreon page. And, of course, anyone who donates at any level will still get access to the monthly podcast that Lisa and I do about Howard the Duck called What the Duck, a Podcast Most Foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A show whose title has diminishing returns, but whose content hopefully doesn't. I just posted this month's show about Howard the Duck number two a couple of days ago, so you guys should go check that out. It's uh, patreon.com slash ttwasteland. And now that we have that business stuff out of the way, I have just one final thought before we get into the meat of the show. If I were a scientist and I invented a device that measured how many bears were in the area, I would be super pissed off that the word barometer was already being used by weather nerds. I mean, I know they're spelled differently, but come on, a barometer should be used to measure bear presence. You meteorologists can get out of here with that wind thermometer nonsense. Us ursinologists need that word, is what I would say if I were a bear scientist. By which I mean a scientist who studies bears, not a bear who is also a scientist. If I was a bear who was a scientist, I would say, roar, 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 roar. Anyway, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Humza Kazmi. Nighthawk, Beast Boy, and Norris. Misogyneers? A new team? Holy crap, someone stop this. I awake. Just a bad dream. Instead, here's a synopsis. Thanks, Humza. Nice work. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 48. November, 1984. Recombatants. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by Steve Rude. Inkted by Al Gordon. Letterded by Todd Klein, colorded by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call Cyborg, Wonder Girl, Starfire, Nightwing, and Jericho. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. You see, there was this team of teenage superheroes called the Teen Titans, and they like walked into traps and were bad at their secret identities and fought crime and shit. 
Their shirtless pal Aqualad showed up for a few issues, and he helped them thwart a group of spicy poop-ranking supervillains. They thwarted so hard that the poop-rankers killed themselves. Then shirtless Aqualad went home. Gadzooks! Can it be that we really get a standalone story for this issue, and that's all the recap I need to do? Have we seen the last of Shirtless Aqualad? And how will Wolfman follow up an issue that ends with a group of supervillains suiciding? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup. Hooray! You know, I thought we had, but the next time we see Aqualad, he is actually wearing even less clothing. Hooray! And by ending this issue with a group of teenage heroes suiciding. Unsettling trend. Our story opens in a lab late one night. Our eyes behold an eerie sight. A bunch of scientists have just decided to kill the costumed teenagers who are sealed inside a science vault. Oh. I was hoping someone was going to do the mash. The monster mash. Scientists murdering children is a lot less fun than that. Sure hope it doesn't catch on in a flash. The intended murder victims of these sanguinary scientists call themselves the recombatants. Their name is a pun on the phrase recombinant DNA on account of they are the result of genetic experimentation and cloning. Oof. Hey, I like naming things after puns as much as the next guy, but there is a time and a place for that shit. And that time is whenever, and that place is Thai restaurants and hair salons. Also podcasts. Anyway, let's meet the recombatants. Aurora is the team leader. She has highlights in her hair, has unspecified psychic abilities, and can make illusions that are mostly snakes. Her interests include paraphrasing the Bible and not being murdered by scientists. Hi, Aurora. Amber has magnetic powers, so can probably do pretty much whatever. Her interests include being reasonable, wearing a neckerchief, and not being killed by scientists. Hi, Amber. Pseudos is the team's youngest member. He has shape-shifting abilities. His interests include cowering in fear, vest ownership, being insecure, and not being murdered by scientists. Hello, Pseudos. And finally, Dreadnought. He is big and wears a bulky gray suit. His interests include peace and quiet, not knowing his own strength, and not being murdered by scientists. A big tighten up the defense hello to Dreadnought and the rest of the recombatants. Anyway, Aurora, Pseudos, and Amber are all locked up in the science vault. The scientists are like, Well, looks like it's time to kill you. Aurora responds, You may have created us, but that doesn't mean you own us and can destroy us whenever you want. The scientists reply, Yeah, huh? Aurora's like, But God and the Bible and the Garden of Eden. Um, Aurora? One, that isn't always the best argument to use against scientists. And B, if you're looking for leniency from your creator, the Old Testament might not be the way to go. That dude was pretty smitey. Before the science guys get a chance to engage in further theological debate, Dreadnought Kool-Aid mans his way through the wall of the science vault from the adjacent room where some other scientist guys were trying to murder him. Aurora makes an illusion of a giant snake doing jazz hands, and whilst their would-be executioners are trying to figure out why the fuck that snake has arms, the recombatants bust out of the lab. Hooray! Meanwhile, back in New York, 
Cyborg is going out for a late-night stroll when he is accosted by one of the many multicultural New Wave street gangs that crop up so frequently in 80s pop culture. They try to stab him. Bad move, multicultural New Wave street gang. Cyborg beats them up and breaks their boombox. The mostly metal music-mangling Marvel is about to head home when his Titan signal starts going off. It turns out that the lab the recombatants escaped from is owned by Beast Boy's adopted dad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America. Someone at the lab phoned up our titular teenage team and informed them that some artificial life forms had escaped from the facilities and could be a danger to nearby Las Vegas. The gang heads out to Nevada to investigate. Out in Sin City, it turns out that the recombatants are more frightened of Vegas than it is of them. Never having been outside before, it's safe to say that the genetically engineered juveniles led a literally sheltered life up to this point, and the strip in Vegas is a bit much for them. Unsettled by the gluttony and avarice on display inside a casino, the recombatant rubes head outside to get some fresh air. Dreadnought keeps complaining about how noisy everything is, and Pseudos whines that shapeshifting is a stupid, useless power. Hey, hey, don't be so rough on yourself, Pseudos. I think that being able to assume any form you like is a pretty neat power. I mean, imagine if you could only turn into animals, and they were always green, and you were an asshole. The self-deprecating, super-powered stripling is startled from his sulking by the sudden arrival of the Teen Titans. Seeing our heroes descend from the sky, the recombatants are understandably terrified that they will be sent back to the lab to meet their makers, both literally and metaphorically. Dreadnought responds the way I think most of us would in that situation. He throws Al Capone's car at our pursuant protagonists. Hey, I think we've all been there. Everybody fights everybody. Dreadnought punches Cyborg through a neon sign. Wonder Girl tosses Dreadnought through the side of a theater, interrupting a magic show. Pseudos evades Nightwing, but then makes a bit of a tactical error when he assumes the appearance of Jericho and starts shouting, Look at me! I'm Jericho, the mute teen titan! Don't hit me, fellow titans, on account of I'm one of you! And mute! Somehow, the titans see through this ruse. During the course of the scuffle, Aurora and Wonder Girl have a chat, and eventually, after a great deal of property damage, both sides calm down and decide to talk things out. The recombatants explain that they are the result of an experiment Dayton Labs performed using DNA and Prometheum to create super soldiers. Ah, Prometheum, the magnetism slash super speed of DCU's periodic table. Now that the scientists have tweaked the process a bit, they want to tidy up some loose ends by destroying the prototypes. Guess even in super science you always have to toss out the first pancake, huh? The Titans are sympathetic to the recombatants' plight, and now that they're all friends, they take the synthetic super teens back to Dayton's lab so that they can all sit down with the scientists and see if they can work out a compromise. What? No! What the fuck are you guys doing? One side wants to kill the other side for existing. What the fuck kind of compromise are you going to reach? Only kill some of them? Bad Titans. Bad. When the gang arrives at the lab, it goes pretty much the way you'd expect. Nightwing shakes hands with chief scientists Mark Evans and Wilma Minu, who thank them for returning the teens that they consider their property, and explain that yes, they are now going to kill them. Damn it, Titans! The Titans tell them that they can't do that, and Mark is like, sure we can. Don't worry, we got a new batch of teens that we're brewing up in that vat of chemicals over there. When the Titans object that they would still rather that their new friends not be murdered, Wilma is like, sheesh. There is no pleasing you people! And sends three security guards to detain our heroes. Three 
regular-ass security guards to subdue nine super-powered teens. Starfire knocks out the trio of rent-a-cops immediately. Hooray! Nightwing turns to the recombatants and is like, So it turns out that delivering you back into the hands of your captors who wanted to destroy you might have been, well, I don't really like to use the word mistake, so let's just call it a learning opportunity. Now let's get you guys out of here. Guys? Uh, guys? That last part is because the sentient science experiments in question have made themselves scarce. It turns out that when the recombatants heard that their creators intended to create more of their kind to be born into a life of subservience, they weren't so crazy about that idea, and decided to go bust up the tubs of goo and habitrails and tesla coils that were to serve as an open floor plan womb for their potential younger siblings. The only problem was that the destruction of all of the science bric-a-brac filled the sealed room it was stored in with a thick acid gas that started to melt the recombatants into a flaming pool of chemicals. The Titans bust down the wall and plead with their new pals that there's still time for them to save themselves, but the self-sacrificing super teens are like, no, that's cool. From what we saw of the planet, it seemed like a pretty shitty place filled with jerks. I think we'd all just like to die now if it's all the same to you. Thanks, though. And with that, before Nightwing can explain that the Vegas trip isn't necessarily an accurate reflection of the rest of the world, the recombatants are no more. Bummer. The Titans hop in the T-Jet and head home. We don't get to see it, but I bet on the ride back Dick suggests that they stop off for a bite to eat. As we learned last issue, witnessing mass suicides always makes him a bit peckish. Then we get a trio of epilogues, which have a different creative team. They are written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Ben Oda, and colored by Adrian Roy. Epilogue 1. Teen Titan Roll Call. Beast Boy! Beast Boy is showing his rad, possible ex, possible current girlfriend, Jillian, around his absentee dad, Steve, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, Dayton's palatial estate. Jillian is cracking wise about how big the house is and being a goddamn delight, as she tells Gar what a great job he's doing planning Wonder Girl's upcoming wedding to divorced community college professor Terry Long. Their conversation is interrupted by the arrival of the aforementioned plutocrat Mr. Dayton, who has just returned from an extended and apparently frustrating business trip. Steve yells at his adopted son Gar and calls the Emerald Adolescent a spoiled asshole. Hey, I mean, yes, that is objectively true, but he wasn't doing anything wrong just then. Dayton's assistant slash butler, Questor, assures Gar that Steve is just in a bad mood lately and that everything will be chill in time for the wedding. Okay. Epilogue 2. Teen Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Terry Long is hanging out in his classroom, surrounded by a bunch of young ladies who are apparently students of his. They are flirting aggressively with him in a way that would seem inappropriate, even if, one, they were not his teenage students, b, he was not engaged to be married, and three, he was not engaged to be married to a teenager who is his former student. Terry asks if their affections are transferable and might be gifted to another teacher who is a friend of his. Gross. The young ladies decline. After one of the girls gifts him a cellophane bikini, Terry makes his excuses and leaves. On his way out, a secretary hands him a message that he has received from his ex-wife Marcia, saying that she would like to talk to him about his impending nuptials and about their children. Terry's kind of freaked out, but when Donna picks him up a few minutes later, she tells him to chill out and that everything will be just fine. Okay, epilogue three. Teen Titan Roll Call. Jericho. Raven. Jericho is wandering around the Titan Tower. 
When he walks by Raven's room, he notices that it is super cold, so he knocks on the door. Raven is like, What? Who's that? Go away! Oh, I sense that it's Jericho. I think you're nice, Jericho. Now go away. So nice. Don't try to help me. No, don't do it. Definitely no help for me, thanks. You'll only hurt yourself. I am hot lava and you mustn't touch, you nice, nice man. So nice. Now go away. Away. Jericho goes away. Yeah, she seems like she's doing pretty good. Joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good as well. Good. So, what'd you think of this comic book? Oh, man, the artwork was amazing. It was very good artwork, and only some of it was by George Perez, too. The bulk of the main story, the art was by Steve Rude, who I am a fan of. Are you familiar with his work at all? I am not, and in fact, until you told me, I... Didn't realize it was not Perez, because a lot of the details are really good. But I found myself thinking, like, wow, he's really nailing the facial expressions. Like, all the characters are super expressive. Yeah, no, he did a great job. I think he has a pretty different style, especially in terms of layout and stuff, than Perez does. But it comes across really well. He's probably best known he was the co-creator of the Nexus comic book series with Mike Barron. He also did a bunch of covers for The Badger, which I was super into for a while. yeah. Yeah, great artist, and the art in this was really, really cool. Yeah, a lot of angles and moving things around, looking down on things, looking up at things, looking at things sideways. Mm-hmm. Cyborg all, looks at something sideways. Di- oh, he looks at a lot of things sideways, especially when those punks come at him with their Michael Jackson boombox. Oh, those guys. Oh, I'd be looking at that sideways, too. Yep. Be like, why are you punks playing Michael Jackson songs? Well, did it ever sound... It must have sounded tough. I can't remember when I was a kid. But I think it did a little bit. I remember even as a child when Bad came out well, sneering that's, that's at a, that. That's, that was only a few years later. That's a very different thing, though. Beat It is way tougher than Bad. Is yeah, it, Corey? Yes, it is. Because he was wearing a red leather jacket, not those... those not a black leather jacket? With, How is a red leather jacket tougher than a black leather jacket? It's not so much the jacket, but it's the footwear. And the thing is, like, I remember reading... <laughs> There was some catalog where you could get, like, punk rock clothing from England, and it had the boots with all, like, the little things Sequence. on Sequence? No, like, little skull buckles. Anyway, it's the boots that Michael Jackson's wearing. On Beat It. No! On uh, the other one. Bad. Bad, Bad yeah. And I remember and thinking, he just went into that catalog, and he got those same <laughs> boots as those kids downtown wear. Well, so and... how do you think those kids got those boots? Well, probably the same catalog, but I'm just saying... Well, how does that make him less tough than those kids? Do you think that they, like, went all fucking Daniel Day-Lewis and made their own shoes, and that was what made the gang kids tough? Uh, I don't know what kind of shoes he was wearing with the red leather jacket, but they were probably tougher than those catalog boots. Why? It's just a feeling I have. I don't know. Do you think he made his first set of boots? No, I think he just got them at the store or whatever, but... It was one of those things where they're just not tough-looking shoes, man, okay? (laughs) I would bet that his shoes in Beaded are not tough either. Probably not, but... I bet actually a gang of cobblers would be terrifying. Oh, they know how to hurt you. Yeah, <laughs> they got... Bad. Yeah, they got those... Hammers? Little yeah, hammers? tiny little hammers. Mm-hmm. Somehow that's kind of scarier than big hammers, I think. I don't... Like awls any and of stuff. It. Oh, oh, man, yeah. they... Yeah, they'd shake Needles. it good with an awl. Lots of thread. I was joking earlier, but I would never want to fight Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, even before that Gangs of New York movie came out, mm-hmm. 
He's a pretty scary guy. Yeah. He might just go into character. Mm-hmm. Or talk to me about his craft. Was, it, was he the My Left Foot actor? Yes. And by talk to me about his craft, I mean acting, not shoemaking. If you wanted to talk to me about shoemaking, I think that would be very interesting. Are you sure? No. Okay. But as we have established, I am afraid of cobblers. And I'm not afraid of actors in general. Shoemaking can be pretty fascinating. I got sucked into one of those. In Did some... you try to save money by making your own shoes? No, no, oh. no, no, no. No, I got sucked into watching a video of people making fancy shoes. Oh. And it was one of those things where after a few minutes, you're just like, wait, wait, what am I doing? But for those first couple minutes, it's it, pretty fascinating. It is a very involved practice. I can see why in olden times people thought that maybe it was just uh, elves. Not like, you know, you leave a saucer of milk out. You get a pair of shoes. Sh- yeah, because... It's a good deal. It looks like magic to me. Nice pair of shoes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nice pair of shoes is magic, man. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it. Yeah. And that was before they even had the Reebok pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's just science. There's, there's yeah. no magic there. Well, they might have, like... Big conveyor belt filled with tiny saucers of milk in the Reebok factory. Bunch of captive elves. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's awful. Well, that's the way a big shoe goes. They're really not very nice to the UFC fighters either. The elves? No, Reebok. Oh, how are they not nice to the UFC fighters? Oh, they changed the contract thing for these guys. That, like, if they get caught wearing other clothes, they get in big trouble. Oh, they don't make them make shoes for them, though, do they? Probably. Oh, if they get in, you know, too many violations. In with the elves for you, Mr. Tough Guy. No, we're kidding, of course. We all know that the shoemaking industry would never, ever use any unsavory labor practices. No, definitely not. Not their thing. Nope. Art aside, what did you think of this story? Uh, there wasn't a lot of story there, but there was a lot of fighting that happened. A little bit of an interesting exploration about what makes us human and oh, spirituality and sure. the, the, the morals of science and that sort of thing. It's almost like science is more concerned with could have and never stopped to think about should have. Deep. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's Dinosaur! Deep. What? That's also from Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, so in this issue we meet the re-combatants. Which is a tortured pun for recombinant DNA. Mm-hmm. I honestly wasn't crazy about the story for this issue. It's a filler issue. Like, basically, the next big event that we're going to get to, it seems like, is Donna's wedding. Also, we've got a guest penciler, which is usually a sign that it's a filler issue. But it's one of those stories that, for me, the story of the story is more interesting than the story. Because the recombatants are not just a tortured pun They are a stand-in for a different company's comic book, The DN Agents. And it's almost a crossover. It's basically one of those, like, kind of unlicensed crossovers where the parent companies don't necessarily know about it. But in issue 14 of DN Agents, the creators had their heroes fight Project Youngblood, who were obvious stand-ins for the Teen Titans. That issue came out a couple of months before this issue came out. Project Youngblood consisted of Black Owl, who had previously (laughs) been Owl Man's protege, Amazing Girl, Roboto. Oh, they're not even trying. No, Celestia, and Heartstring, who was the fill-in for Jericho. Hmm. But if you think they weren't trying, here are the characters that the recombatants are parallels of in the DN Agents. Dreadnought, 
is a fill-in for Tank. Mm. Pseudos is a fill-in for Sham. Aurora is a fill-in for Rainbow. And Amber is a fill-in for Topaz. Oh, Jesus. Little tit for tat. Yeah, indeed. And not only that, but you may have noticed we get names for some of the evil scientists, which we don't always do. Mm-hmm. We got Mark Evans and... Wilma Minot. Yeah. The creators of the DN agents are Mark Avanier and Will Mignot. What? Uh-huh. They were having fun with each other. I'm pretty sure these guys were all friends. Uh, I think you might be familiar with some of Mark Avanier's work. He's done a ton of work in the field of comics and in comics journalism. He wrote a really good biography of Jack Kirby. That Hmm. is one of my favorite books. But he also wrote the dialogue for Gru the Wanderer. Oh. Which, yeah, I believe you introduced me to. I I always loved those. I was a big fan. So that's what's going on with the DN agents and the recombatants and Project Youngblood and this kind of unlicensed crossover. The weird thing is that it's not like a continual story. It's basically the same story because in the end of the DN agents one, the Teen Titans stand-ins sacrifice themselves and all die at the end to save the world. And in this one, the same thing happens with the recombatants, kind of. They don't save, they don't save they the world. Killed. It seems like they were trying to create a parallel story, but that I think is partly why the motivation didn't make any sense at the end, really, to me anyway. It, it was more like, oh, well, their characters all killed themselves at the end. That was in the service to his story, I believe. And in this one, it's just, and then they all kill themselves because, I don't know. They're... They just couldn't get out in time. No, I, th- I think it was on purpose. I think they decided they wanted to destroy all the research that had been done. Yeah, they did for sure. But oh, you're saying the only way they could ensure that would happen is by, by not making killing it out themselves alive. too. It was confusing. It was super confusing, and I read this like actually several times because I was like, oh, I missed some little hidden philosophical gem. I don't think I did. No, it's just nonsense. I feel like they were creating parallel storylines to the story that was told in DNA Agents 14, and like the story beats are pretty much the same. The roles are just switched slightly, but. It doesn't really hold together as a story. The the art's very good. I haven't read the DN Agents one. I I would like to. I've seen some of the panels from it. They have basically the same scene where the Wonder Girl stand-in and the, I think, Aurora character sit down and have a talk and then address the rest of the team and say, hey, we've got to stop fighting each other. But in this comic book, that didn't make sense either. Like, let's all calm down and as a group take these teenagers back to the people who are trying to kill them. That's some bullshit, man. That is a good point. Robin was like, oh, I'll just go. They're scientists. And so I'll go talk to them and I'll be like, hey, guys. So you can't just kill people. Is that cool? But it isn't really presented that way even. It's just this false equivalency. Robin's like, well, I'm sure both sides have good points. It's such a parallel to what you see happening so some, much some these days. Some very fine people. Yes. Some very yeah, fine people. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of both-siderism where it's, well, these people say that you're not humans and you don't have a right to exist. And you say, please don't kill me. It seems like you've both got pretty good points. Let's sit you guys both down together and see if we can work out some kind of a compromise. No. Bad call. Bad calls all around by the Teen Titans on that one. 
yes, bad calls on bringing him back for sure. But yeah. uh, good on Donna for somehow extrapolating from the thing like, hey, let's stop fighting. But particularly good on Jericho for having this super weird interaction with Sudos and then, you know, popping back out of his body and just being like, oh, bro, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Take my hand. And they have this early, like, tender They did have a nice moment, moment. there. And, and very I, yeah, I appreciated that right before he led him to his slaughter. Yeah, things did kind of go <laughs> sideways after. Like... Yeah, but no, that was kind of a fun moment. I liked that, too. And I liked you talked about the facial expressions, like the look on Jericho's face when the guy dressing up as Jericho is running around yelling, Look, it's me! I'm the real Jericho! And Jericho's just like, Oh, this poor fucking idiot doesn't know I can't talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Actually. Yeah, it was a really nice moment. And yeah, Steve Rude does a great job drawing different facial expressions than you normally see and is very expressive, and, and I appreciated that. Let's get back to what Nightwing says at the end. It's nonsense. But it's fired up like righteous nonsense, too. So, he's just watched all of the recombatants die in a fire. And yeah, he's saying, we, we can help you. And they say, we don't want to be helped. We know what we're doing. We should never have been created. Once you've tasted life, you can't just give it up. Even though that's exactly, that's literally what they are doing. So dumb. All we wanted was to, to live in peace, but there's no such thing, is there? There is no Eden save in ourselves. We see the beauty, the clear skies, the fresh air. Thank God we still see the sunlight and hope. Huh? I mean, it's it's a nice sentiment. It doesn't make sense to they're me. They're burning to death. Yes. And the only outside world they've seen is fucking Las Vegas Strip. Yeah! <laughs> makes no sense. Which is maybe why they're okay with burning themselves to death at this <laughs> point. Big explosion in the lab. Mark Avanier says, Don't you understand? We can't let them destroy the core. Too late. It's gone. Everything's gone. Giant explosion. All our work. All our hopes. Shot to hell. And here's where Nightwing has his capstone to the issue. Hell? Hell? No. For one brief moment, that room was paradise. I get it. You do? I I think I get, actually, what they're trying to sew together with it narrative-wise, but it makes no, no sense whatsoever. Earlier on in this book, they talk about the Garden of Eden and right. the snake and blah, 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 and getting cast out. So maybe that's why he's saying paradise. Yeah, that definitely is why, but it still doesn't make sense. No, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's just that's the only, I just didn't tie it back to the beginning part yet. Yeah, at the beginning they talk about like, you were cast out of your paradise too by the person who created you, just like we were just created. But <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, you are talking to scientists right now? We're not actually that big on creationism. But what the guy says is, our work, all our hopes, shot to hell. And Nightwing just fixated on that one last word and says, hell? No, it's not hell. What was in that room was paradise for a second. Okay, unless Nightwing is just super into burning teenagers, then just no, that is not paradise and a terrible, terrible metaphor for paradise. And also, that's not what the guy was saying. The guy wasn't saying, in that room, it was a real hell. He was saying, our work is shot to hell. And Nightwing contradicts him. Like, wait, oh, did you save their research? It's been demonstrated once or twice that Dick Grayson isn't the best listener. And often is just looking for that one word he can use to (laughs) shoehorn whatever it is he wants to say into the conversation. I think that is clearly what is happening in that sequence there. 
These scientists seem like real assholes. Of the highest order. Yeah, like real pieces of shit. Do you get my science joke? That was nice. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't get it, in fact. Oh, okay. But now I do. It's very funny. I'll put in a little rim shot noise there. Ah, thank you. Yeah, then we can all <laughs> enjoy. Then we can all enjoy it. Okay. But how is all their research gone? Like, did none of them take notes? Did none of them remember what they did? Did they create all of this science in a fugue state? How is this not reproducible? This is 84, which I believe is the year that the Mac came out. Oh. So they probably just had one. They were pretty expensive at first. Yeah, they just had one and it had like only enough to fit like Dark Castle <laughs> and a couple other games on it. So because they probably had mech paint, right. then they only had room for one copy of their notes. Yeah, because the other they're just like drawing pictures of like, ooh, we'll make this dude really like have guns on his arms. Yeah, I'm gonna put a dong on him. <laughs> yeah, big laser dong. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, you're probably right. Good point. The recombatants made reference to their compustructors. Mm-hmm. Seems like a pretty narrow focus on their education. You know what though? Like, I think what they had was just some of those um, speaking spells. <laughs> Those, so those they asshole had... scientists were just like, this is your computer. All right. So it was like, they had three speaking spells. They had one that was religious philosophy. Mm-hmm. One that was about circuses. Mm-hmm. And one that was about the Teen Titans. Yep. Don't eat the apple. Uh, watch out for the trapeze. And uh, Dick Grayson won't <laughs> let you get a word in edgewise. Oh, so these the speaking spells had their secret identities on them. Yeah, I think so. They are pretty bad at their secret identities. Yeah. It would not surprise me if they did have some licensed products out there that had their secret identities printed on them. <laughs> but I was wearing sunglasses. How did this happen? <laughs> yeah, it just really seems like a super narrow... Because everything else about the world, they are completely unprepared for and are like total fish out of waters once they get outside of the confines of this lab. They're just like, what? I don't understand how humans interact. I don't know what any of this is. But the things that they display knowledge of are religious philosophy, the Teen Titans, and when they get to Las Vegas, they're like, oh, this is like those circuses that our compustructors told us about. Mm -hmm. It's a weird fucking random knowledge set that they have. Although, I mean, I guess our own education system teaches us pretty random stuff, especially for, like, early childhood education. Certainly, the noises that animals make seems like it should take up a much larger part of my daily life, given the amount of importance that was put on it when I was, like, an infant. We spend a lot of time teaching children the different noises that barnyard animals make. That's a good point. Yeah, this doesn't really help you. <laughs> life does it i mean in certain scenarios it's only in your country too right because the yeah they make different noises in different countries everywhere. too yeah. yeah i know in russian a dog says gov gov of course it does do you know any fun animal noises in different languages oh yeah i can't remember any but there's a bunch of them a gun goes pan pan in france yeah no there's a bunch i, I just i mean in their defense it me. probably makes a different noise when you're running away from it <laughs> Oh, um, zing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I would totally run away from a gun. Um, <laughs> tough guy. Yeah, they're scary. <laughs> I get it, France. You wouldn't even get to the second pan. No, nah, just one shot. Yep. <laughs> okay, pan. That's uh. That's all we needed Oof. to say. Yeah. 
You can have the contents of my Aubon pan You're at the mall. Beautiful bread. You remember that chain of uh, croissant shops at the, at the Fox Run Mall? Yeah, I knew a kid that worked there. They they call it the pain. Oh, I get it. Did he bring the pain home for you to eat? Uh, no. Oh, well, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that we were introduced to in this issue, I believe, I don't think we've seen them in this form before, are the Titans hover cycles. They look like little toy trains. Yeah, they're look like, they're like skidoos of the sky. Ooh, sky doos. Uh, sky. Oh man, that's a way that's better name for them. That's how we'll make them. our fortune. Sky doos. How hard can it be? I hope nobody's patented the idea of going to going number two in the sky before. Because <laughs> if so, they may have taken the name. <laughs> like a honey bucket for a yeah airplane. <laughs> yeah, a little porta potty standard. Because the airplane bathroom is not bad enough. <laughs> encountering some turbulence. <laughs> Just gonna have to step outside. <laughs> have you ever flown Spirit Air? Uh, no. I think they might just have some Skydoos strapped to the outside of the plane for you to use. Oh, shit. It's bad there, man. Okay. Real bad. Okay. But yeah, these Skydoos that the Titans are flying around on, pretty cool looking. They look like they're a lot of fun. Only Nightwing and Jericho get them, and Cyborg's still getting dragged around by the hand by uh, Starfire. Hmm. How come he doesn't get one? Hmm. Do you think it's an issue of, like, he probably weighs a lot with all that molybendum? Molybendum? Yeah, that's what his cyborg body's made out of. That's the made-up metal that they use. Oh, that's a very fancy-sounding made-up metal. You've Um, read these comic books, right, Corey? Actually, I haven't been reading. You've been faking it the whole time. Pretty good. (laughs) That's very impressive. Thank you. Wow. I I ain't even mad at that, man. That's like a a me in high school level of bullshittery. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, and I get beer. (laughs) Oh, man. I hate to say it, but I'm proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, do you think he's just too heavy to be supported by the sky, dude? That doesn't make any damn sense. It seems to me like Starfire and Nightwing are an item. Yeah. So she should be dragging him around. Maybe they're fighting. Uh-oh. He is kind of a dick. I'll put a rim shot in there. Thanks. No problem. Then you'll, in retrospect, know that it was funny? Right. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, they're probably fighting. Or Dick's just like, hey, I only invented two. And Jericho, like, is his new best friend because Jericho can't talk. So. <laughs> right. He's like, I like this guy. He he never interrupts me. I like the cut of his jib. I'm going to mm-hmm. give him a sky do. Despite the fact that the first time we met, he did make me punch myself in the face and then do a funny dance. That was hilarious. It was really good. I don't know which I would rather do. Hmm. Yeah, because like, how hard can you punch yourself in the face, really? Uh, I mean, he knocks himself out. Well, he's an acrobat. I mean, just for right. Like oh, how how hard? So me specifically, like an guy. Yeah. Huh. Or gal. Average I bet I could punch myself out. <laughs> All right. For our fourth level Patreon donors, <laughs> have we got a treat for you? <laughs> so, in addition to the recombatant DNA agents main story that we have in this issue, we also have a series of three epilogues, and those are drawn by George Perez and are also really gorgeously drawn. In the first one, we get Beast Boy hanging out with his new old girlfriend, Jillian. And Jillian's charming as fuck. She's hilarious. She is nonstop telling jokes. And it seems to be getting on Beast Boy's nerves, which I appreciated. And also, fuck you, Beast Boy. She's actually funny, and she's not sexually harassing you. So I think she's great. I also was pleased to note that 
Her accent has worn off. I guess she has been back from England long enough. So that's good news. Yep. We see that Beast Boy's dad's being a real piece of shit. Yep. Steve Dayton has something up his butt. He yells at Gar about planning the wedding. Beast Boy's like, I already cleared this shit. I don't know what the fuck is up your butt. Questor is just like, I'll take care of this. Yep, there's a little tap in the nose thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you did get me that cocaine, so I'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. Jillian just has nonstop one-liners about how big Steve Dayton's place is, which is cute. I like to think that she talks like the boss from A Christmas Prince. What's that? Oh, uh, Christmas Prince. It's a really, really good movie about a lady who marries the prince at Christmas. I feel like this has come up on the show before. I think it may have. I don't I don't know for sure. But her boss in the movie inexplicably talked like it was the 1930s and she was one of those like fast talking his gal Fridays. I think because she worked at a newspaper. Yeah, okay, okay, like that. See, yeah. But that's kind of how I picture Jillian sounding in this. Man, I've seen star systems smaller than this place. I heard your dad was adding a new wing. He calls it America. Your friends Donna and Terry will have to call in their I do's to each other by long distance. The guests in the back won't even hear the wedding ceremony until it's over. It'll take that long for the sound to reach them. Hey, I don't expect you to laugh at these jokes, but can you at least crack a smile? Or some walnuts, I'm starving. I like to think that she talks like that, and I think that's fun. My problem is that the narrator is also talking like that. Oh. As it leads in, it's, Dayton Manor in the Hamptons is a small, unpretentious home in the same way World War II was a minor skirmish. There are some who say Dayton Manor is in two different time zones. Not true. It's in three. You could just give those jokes to her because, I mean, those are fine one-liners about how big the place is, and I understand wanting to incorporate them. The tone doesn't fit the rest of the work the narrator's doing, and it makes you call into question the things that he says later on. Or, I don't know, does for me. The narrator? Yeah. Later on, he says, a certain college in New York City. So is it not in New York City? Is it not a college? Is he talking about a dollhouse that he found in Poughkeepsie? I don't know anymore. What time zone is it in? Exactly, and how many? Mm. Mm. Good point. Thank you. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a real piece of shit. Speaking of real pieces of shit, Epilogue 2 stars Terry Long. Is he bad? He's not... He's in a creepy... He's pretty creepy in this. He is... He's being creeped on by all of the young college students that he teaches. And they're all hitting on him as they give him wedding presents. One of them gives him a transparent bikini and says that she wears one all the time. It's a weird way to hit on somebody. Like, here, make your fiancé wear a transparent bikini. It is a weird way to hit on somebody. Seems, yeah. Yeah. Every time that happens to me, I'm just like, oh, man. It mostly just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Back, back off. Yeah. Coming on too strong. Come on, Dave. But yeah, and then they're all like, you're not married yet. Maybe we can convince you about the joys of bachelorhood. Where it gets creepy is that he says, I'm afraid it's too late, Melody, but thanks. If you want, I'll pass your offer over to Mr. Popnecker. I hear he's getting married too. The idea that these ladies' affections are transferable, I think, is not... That's pretty gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And also just like, maybe you'd like to sleep with a different college professor, teenage girl. I mean, I am marrying a different teenage girl. And also, Mr. Popnecker's about to get married, so... Yeah. Don't do not do any of that. Bad job all around. He's drawn all, like, sly when he says that. Uh-huh. Thinks, yeah. He thinks he's being funny. 
Yeah, it's not funny. Then Donna comes and picks him up, and he reveals that he just got a message from his ex-wife, Marsha, that she wants to talk about the wedding and about their kids. Kids? I thought they just had a kid. Do they have more than one? Oh, I can't recall. We only met the one, Jenny. Hmm. Yeah, I remember the girl. Did Terry forget how many children he has? Could be. Yeah, he's pretty busy. Teaching classes. Got a wedding to plan. Mm -hmm. Got put on a transparent bikini. Yeah, it's not easy. No. Where is it? Yeah, I don't know. know. Did I even put the thing on? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can just say it's on. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, when Donna picks him up, he tells her, I'm worried, it's Marsha. I think she might cause some trouble at her wedding. And Donna says, I know you've had problems, but Marsha and I have met. And even if we didn't hit it off, I don't think she's the petty kind. Maybe they met again off panel, but I think she's referring to the one time when we saw them meet, and it was like for three seconds, and then she stormed out of the room. Mm-hmm. And seemed a little. Petty. It was it was Marcia just telling her, "Oh, well, she certainly is young. Mm-hmm. She did seem petty in that one encounter. I don't know, Donna. I mean, I, I appreciate that you're trying to put a nice face on this, but maybe he does know his ex-wife better than you know her, based on your." three-second interaction in which she mean girls to you. Yeah, or Donna's just like, hey, Terry, get over it, man. It's been three days. <laughs> you got that information minutes ago. Time to stop being upset about it. You're probably right. And then we get the third epilogue, and... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just saw a picture of Jericho, and it's funny. He's weirdly drawn. Yeah, ha- okay. His eyeballs... You've mentioned that they're kind of lemur eyes. Well, especially when he's getting his... Well, yeah, when he's getting his possession on, it's definitely like he gets all lemur-eyed. But even when they're not... What's that movie that's coming out soon? Uh, Battle Angel Alita? Have you seen the previews for that? No. Okay. It's weird, uncanny valley-like, strangely large anime-style eyes on an otherwise regular human-looking person. Hmm. But that's kind of what Jericho has going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, he swings by Raven's room. He's walking by, and it's suddenly super cold outside of her room. He's like, oh, that's fucking weird. I better go check on Raven. Right, and then he puts his hand on her door, like like he's in prison and wants to kiss. And she's like, go away, I can sense you out there, and you're thinking this. And she has a whole conversation based on the emotions that she's picking up on him. And basically it boils down to... You seem nice, but I can't talk to you because I don't want to be near anybody because I'm concerned about my powers. So, I guess Raven is worried about her powers. Man. This is a startling new development. I'm tired. Over it. It's issue 48. 48 issues. Trigon's a dick. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Real, real turd. But... 48 issues. She Um, needs to talk to Donna Troy. uh Uh-huh. Time to let Trigons be bygones. Mm Mm-hmm. Also... Or just fucking evil out, man. At this point, I don't even fucking care. Or make up your mind. Because what she says to Jericho is, Oh, you would hurt yourself. And then she's like, Oh, I don't want to hurt you. Yeah, which is it? Hmm? How's he gonna hurt himself? Mmm. What does Raven do? Like, is... Like, she just maybe gonna mope real loud near him? (laughs) <laughs> that's gonna hurt his ears because <laughs> he's such a good listener <laughs> like maybe that's the deal he is a really canonically a really good listener mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, maybe she's just going to fucking mope super loud and it's going to hurt his ears, which is kind of him hurting himself. I made this mixtape of very sad music. (laughs) It's Japanese Whispers by The Cure. On repeat. (laughs) Forever. Get out, Jericho. Go, while there's still time. You're going to hurt yourself. Stabbing your ears with a pencil. Well, fortunately, the sideburns will provide some protection. I guess. So we mentioned the scene in which uh, a cyborg is accosted by these punks. Did we mention? Oh, we did, because we, we talked about... Uh, we talked about... Not a beatbox. What do you call them? Boombox being yeah. crushed. Oh, man. Thank God it was a boombox being crushed and not the human beatbox being crushed. Oh, that would have been a tragedy. That would have been so sad. Yeah. I think about the song Fat Boys Are Back probably once every two days. Fat boys are back. And you know, they can never be back. Yeah. Anytime I hear a four-syllable phrase, I want to end it with, (laughs) and you know, they can never be whack. Yeah. Yeah. Natural. So, the dudes that are giving Cyborg a tough time Uh look like they put a lot of work into their appearance before they, like, went out on the town to do bad shit. I think that might be a thing, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> like, we're going to go, let's go do some crimes, but let's get dressed up first. Well, I mean, they are punks. Like, a mohawk, as you are aware, is a very, like, there's a lot of maintenance required in that hairdo. Mm-hmm. And these guys don't have mohawks, but they got other punk stuff going on. And uh, have some dyed hair and some leather business. Yeah, they they all do have very intentional looks, which I think is kind of the deal with depictions of street gangs in the 80s. Basically, they are there to represent what the squares are afraid of. And as that increasingly became like went from punk to new wave. Mm-hmm. Things got like, weird. <laughs> things did get weird. You would see like depictions of street gangs where everybody's wearing those weird little Venetian shade sunglasses mm-hmm. and like popped collars and... One of these dudes has white jeans uh-huh. with a purple bandana tied around his right calf. Yeah, he's probably a bike messenger. He tied it too high. What do you want to keep it out of the spokes, probably? You gotta tie it up, up no, way high. The ankle is the part that gets the bike grease on it from the thing. Well, they got, he's on a tall bike. Oh, of course he's he is. He's a tall bike bike messenger. Of course he is. Clearly. Okay. Clearly. Yeah, because this is set in Portland. Right. I mean, you know, I think we were discussing before the show if the purple bandana was around the left leg, mm-hmm. then that would mean he was like into uh, ghost fucking. Yeah, yeah. It's the the flagging thing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, if it's tied around the the left leg, purple and bandana, it's purple. left calf. You right. know some ghost shit. Yeah, for pay. Oh, is <laughs> he not going to give it out? Not, not if not if it's uh, not if it's tied up that high on the left leg. Okay. If it's for free. Then um, we're talking purple and orange bandana. And uh, that is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, on your butt. <laughs> it's in your pocket. Yeah. Hanging out, yeah, of, hanging pocket. out of the left pocket. Okay, purple um, and orange, back left pocket, free ghost stuff. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep, that's what Dan Aykroyd's out there looking yeah. for. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. Wait, what? Yeah, you know. Dan Aykroyd loves ghost blowjobs. Oh, right. Yeah. That's true. That was he didn't pay for that. Yeah, no. He was not paid for it. No. Uh, well, I mean, you know, busting makes him feel good. Mm-hmm. You ready to get into the minutiae? I think it's time. Yeah, it's probably the right thing to do. Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutiae. 
Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yes, thank you. Before we get into the minutia proper, I did need to show you an ad that I saw in here that really cracked me up. Oh, I didn't. I don't have it because I have the trade paperback. I know. That's why I wanted to show it to you now and get your reaction. Mm. Self-defense American style. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? It looks like self-defense American style is they're going to teach a werewolf to kick a little kid in the nuts. (laughs) I mean, that's what's happening there, right? And the werewolf is wearing a onesie. Yep. Without the feet, though. Yeah, and the little kid's wearing a yellow t-shirt and some jogging shorts, and it looks like he's trying to grab the werewolf's beard. Yep. But he is definitely getting kicked in the nuts by... He's, like, feeding him a cookie, and the guy's (laughs) kicking him in the nuts. He's like, I hate these Maybe self-defense American style is just granting you the knowledge that werewolves hate cookies. No tricks, no gimmicks. (laughs) Develop your power and muscles and your inner strength. Fast and easy, the American way. Fast and easy is the American way. Mm. All right, I just wanted to show you that ad. Thanks. I will put a picture of that up on Twitter and uh, and have Lisa put one on Instagram because you guys should all see that because uh, it is a werewolf in a tracksuit kicking a little kid in the nuts. Let us know what's happening in case we missed it. Thank you. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, man, there was a lot of good ones. Um, there were, and having a different artist on this uh, seemed to give us a whole different set of sound effects, which I appreciated. I had a toss-up between two of them. Okay. One we already mentioned, which is on page four, and it's the scene in which the the new wave not-ghost-sex-bicycle-messenger guys are giving Cyborg a hard time. We don't know for a fact that they're not into ghost sex. We just know that they're not advertising it. All right, that's fair. You can't prove a negative. But anyway, uh, Cyborg's mad, and he he squishes their boombox real good. Yeah. And it makes the noise... Scrutch! Scrutch is pretty good. Yeah. So I like Scrutch. And then my backup is a two-parter, and it's on page six. And it's when the re-combatants find themselves in the casino. And they make the machine do the jackpot thing. And it goes, click, 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 pang! Yep, like a jackpot would do. Yeah, the noise is not at all related to what's happening in the picture. Yeah, I liked it too, though. Mm -hmm. This is fun noises. Pang! Mm Mm-hmm. Click, 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 click. Bang. Bang. Pan. Oh! Oh, Jesus. Run away. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle all of our French listeners. Run away. I didn't just fire a gun at you. I also had a tough time choosing. What it came down to me is on page nine, we get skazak, which which is nice. I enjoyed the skazak. That is the uh, noise it makes when, I believe, Cyborg is thrown through the golden nugget sign. That is a heck of a... Heck of a toss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and Cyborg was certainly surprised because as it happens, he says, But I think my actual favorite is on page 17, and it is Cyborg trying to break down a door and making the noise, Bagoom! Mm. Bagoom. Just really fun noise. It's a good panel. He's trying real hard to break that door and then hurting his shoulder Mm -hmm. in the process pretty good pretty good Mm -hmm. Corey, Mm -hmm. let's take this party to the bozone what instance of a character calling another character a bozo either literally or metaphorically do you think is worthy of highlight so i i went a little darker on this one than i normally go normally there's some fun banter and goofy name calling 
But there was a scene which gets back to this kind of philosophical debate about, you know, what constitutes life and blah, blah, blah. And it's when um, Dr. Evans refers to the recombatants as a non-life. Yeah. Harsh. Not cool. Not cool. But Man. Zing. Honestly, like, that is definitely a shitty thing to say. Where that could be almost viewed more of a zinger is that it was Marv Wolfman taking an actual person who he knows and making their stand and say shitty stuff like that. Oh, zing. Like, that whole character of Mark Evans is kind of a zing on Mark Evanier. Mm. I had a couple that I found. One of them is right after the Bagoom. Uh, Cyborg hits the wall pretty hard. Then Starfire has him step aside and melts the wall so that they can all just walk through it. And he says, you could have told me that before I dislocated my shoulder. And she just says, sorry, want me to kiss your boo-boo? Come on, you'll be all right. Mm -hmm. Ouch. I've dislocated my shoulder. I would not appreciate being mocked after I had done so. That's true. That's really It hurt a lot for a long time. The other one that I really enjoyed, and I think this is the one I'm going with, is when Cyborg is fighting the new wave punks. One of them is calling out for help from his buddies. And Cyborg says, forget them, punk. They're rats. And you're the crummy ship that sunk. Calls yep. that guy a crummy ship. Yep. That's pretty good. Yep, that was my, I had that uh, in my back pocket as well. I'm going to start doing variations on that. Just like somebody says something mean to me, I'll just be like, you're a terrible boat. That They'll be so confused. You are the worst boat. You're a crummy ship. People will just be like, what? <laughs> That's right. No. Terrible boat. Not an official category, although we suppose we could make it one. The Mebby count in this issue is mm. a big fat goose egg. No Mebbies. Dang. Not a crumb. Okay. Nary a crumpet. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's how you say there's not one, right? In British? Guys, <laughs> if see his face, he looks so pleased with himself for saying nary a crumpet. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Still tickled pink. That's how you say things, Corey. <laughs> I'd, I'll take a note. Corey? Yes? You're a terrible boat. Nary a crumpet? No! Oh! <laughs> Were you able to find yourself a timestamp? Indeed I was. It's come up a few times already, but the tune that the boombox was playing was Michael Jackson's very tough song, Beat It. Mmm, no one wants to be defeated, Corey. No. You gotta show them what's funky. Mm-hmm. Show them what's right. Mm-hmm. Wait, show them what's funky. Hot monkey? No, the, the rhyme isn't for funky. <laughs> it's show them, show them your funky, show them your fight. Oh, I, I... It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. I don't, I don't do lyrics from the 80s because when I was a kid, actually, just in general, I hear things wrong. And so I just don't like to repeat back what I think song oh. lyrics are. Do you have uh, one that you remember about being wrong? Uh, the song Voices Voices Carry. Yeah. I thought they were saying Princess Larry. Oh. Which, you yeah. know, like Larry Bird was super popular mm. at the time, but it princess just... Princess Larry. Yeah, I couldn't... He wasn't a princess. I know. It didn't make sense. The hmm. whole gender thing was mixed up, and, and I don't know. So that's an example of why... You don't know what Michael Jackson was saying. I'm not going to tell you what Michael Jackson was saying. Okay, fair, fair is fair. Probably wrong. Good song, though. Good song and an excellent timestamp. Definitely sets this as coming out in 1984 when Street Toughs thought that Michael Jackson's songs were tough. And his shoes were cool. 
<laughs> I'm not going to get into this. <laughs> this bespoke shoe. Before insistence the whole that you have. Bad shoe before. catalog era. What a sellout. <laughs> I wonder Weird, Weird Al made fun of him. Well, okay. He made fun yeah, of him I at know, that time, I know, too. I know. Because I did hear yeah. the song Eat It before I heard the song Beat It. I know. But the picture of Weird Al dressed up in the same outfit, that was the real zinger. Yeah, that really. Mm. On the, for the album Even Worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was pretty clever. He is a funny man. Yeah. My timestamp. I also did note the Michael Jackson, but on the same panel, there is some graffiti going on in the background <laughs> that says, Chic Your Booty, which I believe is placing this issue as coming out at a time when not only did street toughs and gang members think that Michael Jackson songs were super badass, they also liked to graffiti about Frank Zappa's double live album, Chic Your Booty. <laughs> Which came out in 1979, but some of these street gangs didn't really catch on to it until a little bit later. Wow, man, that's impressive. I just thought it was like a WWF. You thought they were making fun of the Iron Sheik? Yeah. Nobody makes fun of the Iron Sheik. Nobody that knows what's good for him. Mm-hmm. He's a fun Twitter follow, I'll say that about the man. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird graffiti going on on that wall because somebody also just wrote down the word industrial. So, I don't know, you got like a neophyte Nietzsche Ebb fan going on back yeah, it's there. like a hipster like tag yeah tagger. uh and yeah the industrial is just in kind of neat block letters mm-hmm. that would actually be super impressive to me like if you graffitos out there really want to impress me which i know you do just start tagging in helvetica that yeah. would take a long like without that's what i'm saying that would be fucking impressive as mm-hmm. hell no stencil no no i'm not talking and i'm not talking any fucking sticker slap tag shit mm-hmm. i want that fucking free form with a can helvetica mm-hmm. i will also accept an adobe garamond okay those are the two options that's fair gonna make it tricky you could throw in one with a nice serif Oof. old times new roman uh, i really want to keep this simple okay okay helvetica adobe garamond i guess if you want to impress Corey, you can go for a times new roman well, I don't really care for the font. I'm just saying the little serifs will make it even make more challenging. Tricky. Yeah, okay. Well, you've got your homework, graffitos. Send us your photos. What was your favorite panel? That's a tough one. I really liked on page three, the tall, thin panel of Cyborg wearing his badass green trench coat all drenched in shadow. The cool hat. And there's like paper fluttering in the breeze. Very cinematic i know mm-hmm. we throw that word around a lot but this one really it is, is really cool looking yeah i like that panel a lot too on the same page the first reveal of the street tufts it is so gorgeously drawn they are a little bit goofy looking but like the close-up of that one dude with the toothpick in his mouth that's a really cool looking panel i think my favorite and it's it's not the best drawn but it's just such a weird little moment it's on page six and it's just a weird scene in vegas It's something that I think Steve Rude does with a lot of his art, which is just throw in weird details in the background. And it's this panel. The recombatants have just arrived in a Vegas casino and they're grossed out by it. The thing that they see that has Dreadnought saying, I don't think I like the way humans act, is he is watching two Shriners watch a woman in a cowgirl suit chug a beer. And they are just delighted by this. They're like, a cowgirl chugging a beer? Look at that! That is a weird panel. Yeah, I I like that panel. And then there's like a statue of some some Greek myth shit going on where there's a satyr carrying off a nymph. 
Yeah, it somehow manages to kind of sum up the Vegas strip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Vegas art in here is good. In fact, I, I think probably my favorite panel other than that cyborg one is on page nine. It's the one in which Dreadnought Guy has been basically thrown through the casino bar. Okay, before we talk to that panel, let's segue into the sartorially speaking, because that panel has some dope-ass clothes in it. Mm -hmm. So, sartorially speaking, the fashion in this issue is fucking going on in that panel. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in, there, this, yeah. in this panel. The Dreadnought is being hurled with such force through this room that it's essentially, like, created a, a vacuum behind him, mm -hmm. which is, like, sucking the hat off of an, one guy, um, surprising another dude, knocking another guy over, and then apparently goosing an old man. <laughs> Whatever is going on, that old dude is loving it. He is so pleased. He is just absolutely surprised and delighted by this vacuum, I guess. Running by the backside, he's just like, whoo, <laughs> my bottom. <laughs> yeah. He... Maybe he is confused as to exactly what is happening. And if we were to pan down a little bit, we would see that his right leg has a <laughs> purple orange and purple bandana tied around it. Mm. Now, that old dude is wearing a big old novelty bow tie. Mm-hmm. The person next to him, who is having his hair messed up, is wearing an orange and black striped sweater with a yellow collared shirt under it, and he is making a very funny face. And the person next to him is dressed like a jazz musician leprechaun, I would say. Mm -hmm. Green suit with a skinny tie, plastic man glasses, and a green fedora with a feather in it. Now, the first leprechaun movie is filmed in Vegas, perhaps. Maybe not filmed in, but set in Vegas. It's a documentary, right? Leprechauns in Vegas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, it looks like he's wearing a leprechaun suit. Got it. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Other fashion you would like to talk about? Sure. On page seven, Pseudos is goofing around with his uh, shape-shifting ability, where he tries on different, different human costumes. And um, there's one where he turns into a dude wearing what I can only assume is like a super dark blue, like deep navy blue velour cowboy suit with a bright white shiny cowboy hat and high silver or white shiny cowboy boots. And it is a crazy look. It is a really good look. I, I choose to think that that guy is wearing a velour tracksuit. Uh -huh. with uh with a shining white cowboy hat and gleaming white cowboy boots but yeah you're right that is a remarkable outfit that's a that's just confidence yeah too because you could look a little silly strutting around in that sort of thing but if you can pull it off damn yeah high points for difficulty now every issue of a new teen titans comic book has an aqualad the greatest of teen titans and also has a speedy the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? You may not agree with this, but I think because... Let's say that the decision to take everybody back to their slaughter at the science place was a collective one. Yeah. So that caveat in place. Donna did basically stop everybody from, from fighting. And they're all pretty high-powered people. They could They could have messed up a lot of shit. Yeah. So good on her for being the one that was just like, hey, knock it off. So what you're saying is that you would value the potential property damage to Las Vegas higher than you would value the lives of these five teenagers. Exactly. Okay, yeah. good. No. Yeah, no, just wanted to make sure we're on the same page mm -hmm. with that. 
Yeah, no, they could have definitely they could have uh, hurt some slot machines. Or could have messed up those, the, those are the, very expensive. The nugget, or yep. they surprise those tigers. Those tigers are <laughs> probably traumatized. Yeah, there is a scene where they they interrupt a magic <laughs> show, and uh, there are some very very surprised tigers. It really looked like the one tigers would be like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> wow, whoa." Seriously? It looks like he's saying, whoa. Pretty good. Yep. I couldn't take the poor decision-making off of the table. I think you're right. I think it is a team effort and that that they should all be held accountable for that, which is why, by default, I went with Raven because she was not there for that. What? She was not there for that. She was locked in a room, open, not hurting anybody. I'm tired of her shit, too, but it came down to either her or Beast Boy and, you know, he didn't really do anything that bad, but fuck Beast Boy. So, yeah, I I, uh, I gave it to Raven because she is not complicit in the murder of any teenagers in this issue. I don't agree with that. Okay. She knows what's going on, man. She's got these abilities. So you're saying the blood's on her hands, too? Why not? Do I have to give this to Beast Boy? I think so. <laughs> fuck. Okay, I guess it's Beast Boy. Jillian's being super funny. Yeah, he was kind of pissy. Like, He's like, mm, whatever. Yeah. Only I'm going to make dumb jokes and then I should, you know, harass my work staff. Right. Which he probably did. Yeah. Later. But not on screen. No, no, off panel he was yeah. like goosing maids or whatever it is he does. So being kind of a grumpus, but not actually killing anybody and uh, there's no blood on his hands. Beast Boy is the greatest. <laughs> All right. Conversely, who is your speedy? I am sick of Raven's garbage, and so she was my speedy. Okay, that's fair. I decided to go with Nightwing. The team is complicit, but really he is, as the leader, gotta take the bullet for this dumbass both sidersism that led to the death of their new pals, the Recombatants. Yeah, um, but when they were burning to death, they had a moment of paradise hub. That's the other reason he gets that, for not listening. And for fucking not making any goddamn sense. Sense? I'll tell you about sense. A moment of paradise. <laughs> well done, Corey. Thank you. So, yeah, I had uh, I had Nightwing as my speedy because I think he is the worst. That's fair. Fair? We're not going to a fair. This is more like a carnival. Yeah, you're going to do some trapeze business? Always. Is that all the things? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I am left with just one question I must put to you, Corey. Waput! In the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, November, what is Aqualad probably up to? Oh, man. Aqualad is looking for some sweet distraction from being freaked out. Oh, Maybe in the form of something interesting that happened in the sporting world or a nice musical. I don't know. What's well, got so freaked out? Well, he got a little bit mixed up. Yeah? Yeah. He loves him some Christmas movies. Oh, sure. You know, nice festive time of the year. It's November. Things are getting ready. Sees the poster. Guy's got a green and red sweater. It's like, oh, this will be a delight. Ah, I know he loved Miracle on 24th Street. Exactly. Did he think that maybe there was a sequel? Yeah. He's like, okay, it sounds a little bit darker, Nightmare on Elm Street, which... Came out on November 9th, 1984. Goes into the theater, sees a movie about the horribly burnt, weird ghost, child murdering thing. And um, is really fucking freaked out by it. Not a Wes Craven fan. And just 
that's it, man. He's just like, what the fuck just happened to me? A phone kissed a girl and there was murders. <laughs> that and... was the part that freaked him out. Yeah, the tongue came out of it and everything. <laughs> a phone kissed a girl. Yeah. Or maybe that was the second one. I can't remember, but like a bunch of weird shit happened. It wasn't cool. No, I hear you. Yeah, he was. He still likes talking, though. He... <laughs> of course he does. Was that from the first one? No, Dream Warriors. Yeah, Dream Warriors was from the third one. Yeah, I remember that video. I guess he bounced back. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely... He was pretty freaked out. And uh, when he got freaked out, he didn't necessarily make the best decisions. Mm -hmm. The first thing that he did was he called his friend Speedy. Oh, no. Speedy's just fresh off of releasing Gary Trudeau from his (laughs) kidnapping. And, uh, you know, it's a real goofus and gallant situation. They're, they're best pals, but oof, kind of a rough one. So Speedy's like, oh shit, you are freaked out, buddy. I, I, I got just the thing. I can calm you down. And he ends up getting Aqualad super duper high. Like, uh, weed high or disco weed high. biscuits? Weed or? high. Okay. Yeah, so Aqualad's just like, whoa, I'm still pretty scared. Maybe more so. <laughs> But I'm also pretty hungry. Mm. Speedy's pretty high, too. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it, buddy. I know how you swimmers get when you're hungry. Let's go to McDonald's. And so they go to McDonald's. And Aqualad <laughs> has not only a sea-strengthened, but a marijuana-strengthened appetite at this point. So they collectively ate a million hamburgers. Which brought the total that McDonald's sold up to 50 billion hamburgers. Damn. Also, don't know how to work this in narratively, but Doug Flutie did lead the Boston College Eagles over Miami. He threw for 478 yards, including a 48-yard Hail Mary pass that was a game winner that really put him on the map. He ended up winning the Heisman Trophy that year. I love Doug Flutie. I was trying to leave the thing open for Yeah, the, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I, I probably could have worked it in, but... Uh, it's, he was just high and he ate a lot of hamburgers. And uh, then the next day he was like, oh, good for Doug Flutie. All right. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. All right. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to give us some money, you can do that on patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do that, then you get access to a bunch of uh, bonus material, including the monthly series, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show, which is a show about Howard the Duck that Lisa co-hosts with me. And that goes up once a month, and it's been a ton of fun. There's also some bonus episodes that Corey helped out on. He was on the recent Howard the Duck the movie episode. It which was is a the sm- movie. It sure was, probably. And also we did the Drug Awareness New Teen Titans special, and we did an episode about Auto Man and Turbo Teen. If you would like to support us in a non-monetary way, uh, just, you know, tell, tell the world that Tighten Up the Defense is coming and people should catch the wave of the future and hang ten on it. With us, Cowabunga. You don't have to word it that way, but you probably should. Eh. Bye. Bye. And they knew it.
if you would like to hear more of our podcasts, then listen with your ears to the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to them like that. I won't appreciate it. You know what their ears are for. Do they? Do they, Corey? Don't we all? I guess. Tea and crumpets. No, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they can never be wet.